Lizzie, what brings you here? Hey, Peter. So I'm having, I'm having some trouble with somebody I live with, and I really, really need some advice. He is very hard for me to live with. He does things that I just don't even understand why. Like things that don't affect him make him very angry for some reason. Like my towel, if it ever hits the ground, like ever, watch out. Like I don't understand why, but it's a very big deal. Or if my room isn't clean, he'll take a trash bag, pick up everything in my room and just hide it in my house. Like stuff that I need on a daily basis. Like I just don't have it. Or my shoes, they're like not on the rack for some reason because I didn't have time to put them on the rack. He will throw them into the yard and I can't get them because I don't have shoes. It's just, I don't understand. And the worst part, everything, all of those examples, he will give you a Bible verse on why that is the worst thing ever. He, like, I don't understand. Like the Bible verses back him up. It just, just you know, I don't know. I mean, at least he reads the Bible. I don't know. Do you think I'm being too hard? Maybe. I guess no one's perfect. Lizzie, 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 I can't believe what I'm hearing. Thou who rejects process improvement and shuns those who are trying to make you a more efficient human. How often has this person desired to turn you into a productive member of society and gather you under their wings? You, you, Lizzie, you were not willing. You know why you're not willing? Because you're lazy. You're unappreciative. Okay? You need to stop asking what this person can do to make your life better. But what you can do to make their life better. You're a slob. Sounds like this person's a godsend. Wake up every day. Okay? I want you to wake up. Okay. And I want you to move through your activities and I want you to get a stopwatch and you got to think, how can I do this better, quicker, faster, more efficiently, more productively? Because that's kind of, you know, the next step. That's how you grow. And this is what this person is trying to do. All right. Okay. I think I can do it. You got it? Yeah. All right. And, and by the way, I like this guy. If he uh, is interested in a, in a job, I'm expanding my practice. So you just let him know. Uh, I'd love to have him on my team. He might be interested. I will. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk negotiations, all right? Okay. All right. Have a good one. Bye, Peter. I was going to start by saying welcome to part five in a series called Relationship Hacks, where we're talking about how to repair relationships. And I was going to start by saying, because there's so much bad advice out there. But after watching that video, I think there's great advice out there, to be honest, okay? Because I feel like that guy knew what he was talking about. But for the rest of us, we're talking about a series called Relationship Hacks, where we are talking about, as it says that they're on the screen, it's about how to fix broken relationships, because starting relationships is easy, but repairing them when they get broken isn't so much. And our theme verse for this past five weeks has been this. Romans chapter 12, 18 says this. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. So right off the bat, we know there'll be some things that don't depend on us that's not possible. But as much as depends on us, we will live peaceably and live in reconciliation with all men. What we've been doing for the past several weeks is each week, looking at a relationship hack. One way that we can invest in our relationships 
to fix or repair that which is broken. And just like the verse says right there, it's as much as depends on me. Because we want, when all is said and done, we may not have reconciliation with everyone. We may not be best friends. We may not be able to have Thanksgiving dinner all as a family. But when all is said and done, we want no regrets. I don't want it to be because I didn't do my part. I don't want it to be because I didn't go the extra mile. And the way that we are going to do that is by, like I said, each week, one relationship hack to be able to get to that point. What we don't want to do, what we don't want to do is be the people that say, you know what, I did my part. That relationship is broken. That relationship is strained. I did my part. You know what? Like, it's not on me at this point. It's on them. I did my part. I sleep easy because you know what? And I just, and I walk away. We don't want to be those kind of people. Now, with that said, as I've caveated every week of this series, I'm telling you right off the bat, there are some relationships where it is unwise and unsafe to go to pursue reconciliation. I admit that. But that's the exception. And I think sometimes we rush to that point and I'm saying, yes, some relationships unsafe, emotionally, physically, whatever it may be, some relationships unwise, I agree. Let's put those on the side. I'm not talking about those in this series. I'm talking about the rest, because those are the exception. And in every one of the rest, we must learn how to reconcile. Because did you know that reconciliation, if you wanted to dumb Christianity down to one word, and you want to say, what is the essence of Christianity all about? I would say the word reconciliation. St. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. He says, watch how many times he says the word reconcile. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see, every time you come to church, what St. Paul is telling us, every time you come to church, you are celebrating God's reconciliation. You're celebrating that God didn't stop and say, you know what? Well, it's on them. I did my part. I gave them the law. I gave them the commandments. I told them not to be, uh, not, not to disobey. I told them to just be obedient. I told, God didn't do that. God went out of his way. He went the extra mile, the extra two miles, the extra three miles to be reconciled, that we could be reconciled to him. And now he says, you guys call yourselves my disciples, right? Like you call yourselves my disciples. You call yourselves my followers. So therefore, the way I look at it, I don't have an option. Like if I call myself Christian, like if I'm not a Christian, I can pick and choose and I can say reconcile, not reconcile. That's fine. But if I'm a Christian and I believe that God sent his son to reconcile this relationship, I don't have a choice. I don't get to say, you know what? Well, I appreciate that, but you know, that person gets no reconciliation. I don't have the choice to close the doors. Because as much as depends on us, if it is all possible, as much as depends on us, we will do our part. We will do our part to live at peace with all men because that's what our Savior did for us. Now you're asking yourself, what can I do? I've done everything that I could. Well, that's what I'm saying. In this series, let's go quick recap. We've discussed three relationship hacks, three things that you can do because the person who says, I don't know what I can do. Well, I'm gonna give you three options and we'll give you the fourth one today. So let's recap. Number one, repeat after me. I will come back to... I didn't hear anybody repeat after me. When I say repeat after me, you repeat after me. And this includes you over in Leesburg. I want to hear you repeat after me. Repeat after me. I will come back to not get back at. I will come back to not get back at. No more payback. No more revenge. No more get even. No more, none of that. No more settle the score. No more retribution. None of that stuff. That's not what God did for us. What God did for us is he said, I'm coming not to get back.
back at you. I'm not sending my only begotten son in the world to get back at you, but to get you back. So he came back to us. We talked about that in week one. Week two, I will own my slice of the plain pie. Repeat after me. I will own my slice of the plain pie. Again, I will own my slice of the blame pie. It will always be easier. The lazy approach is just to blame the other person. It's their fault. Or it's because she didn't. Or it's because he said. Or because she forgot. That's easy. That's lazy. That's not us. We're going to go the next step. We're going to examine ourselves. And we're going to see maybe 90% is their fault. And I admit that. But let's talk about that 10%. Once you say 90% is their fault, you're admitting that there's something that you may need to apologize for. Something that you may need to correct. Something you may need to repent for in front of God. And I got news for you as we discussed in, in this couple weeks ago, if I want the other person to do that which I myself am not willing to do, then I am a hypocrite. That's the definition of hypocrite, is when you want others to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. And if we want others to take their, their slice of the blame pie, we want others to admit their wrongdoing, and we're not willing to do the same, we're hypocrites. Last week, Relationship hack number three, repeat after me. I will give up my old stories. Again, I will give up my old stories and replace them with generous explanations. I will give up my old stories and replace them with generous explanations. We are not animals. We are not dogs and cats and lions and bears. Those those animals, when they have a feeling, they act on it and there's no control. They're hungry, they eat. They're thirsty, they drink. They're scared, they run. We are not animals. We have a rational soul and we have a mind so we can make decisions that impact the way we feel. So we can choose and we must choose to get rid of our old stories, the stories that we keep telling ourselves about what she did and what he did and why they did it. And then we invent the motivation. I'm sure she meant, and every time we tell the story, it gets a little bit worse for them and a little bit more victim for us. They get a little bit more villain. We become a little bit more the poor, innocent guy. We're going to give up those old stories and we're going to replace them with generous explanations. And generous explanations, the way we talked about this last week, if you missed it, go, follow, go, go catch up on YouTube. We're going to ask ourselves a simple question. When I am tempted to go ballistic on that person for whatever they did, the person who didn't say hi, the, the spouse who came late, the, the child who, the room is, met. well, leave the child with messy room. That one's okay. Okay. But other than that one, okay. When I'm tempted to go crazy, I ask myself a simple question. Is there a plausible reason? Is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent human being would act this way? Is there a plausible reason why I didn't get this promotion? Or is it, they must be out to get me and they're chauvinist and they're whatever it is. Is there a plausible reason why my husband didn't uh, come home on time? Or is it that he doesn't care about me, he doesn't care about the family, my mother was right the whole time and shouldn't have married? Is there a plausible reason before we jump to, he's a monster, he's the worst, she's no good, she never cared. Before we jump to that, is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, decent, caring human being would act this way? You know, just as one more note on this one before we get to today's relationship hack. There's a book, if you're really interested in this subject, it's called Healing the Angry Brain by a PhD guy whose last name is Efron. Healing the Angry Brain. And he talks about what happens to us when we obsessively retell ourselves the stories and we think of the hurts and the rejections and the betrayals and we just keep telling ourselves that story. We don't make generous explanations. We just keep telling ourselves the same story. And he says this, this quote. He says, even though the offense is long over, 
People keep thinking obsessively about what happened, and every time the memory comes, they feel re-injured as if they are being betrayed in that exact moment. So what that says is that if somebody hurt me 10 years ago, somebody abandoned me, somebody betrayed me, somebody hurt me in some shape or form, every time I rethink it, every time I tell myself that story, I go through the same pain again. This could be a person who has moved on. This could be a person who has moved on to the next life. And you may hope there, but they may be. We don't know. And every time you tell yourself your story, what your father did when you were five, or what your mother did when you were in middle school, or what your spouse did on your honeymoon, every time you tell yourself that story, you're feeling the same pain. You go walking through that same experience again. And that's why we talked about last week enough. Why am I going to let that person who hurt me yesterday continue to hurt me? I'm not, a, again, I'm not an animal. I have a free will. I can make a choice. I will replace my old stories. I'm sorry, I will give up my old stories and I will replace them with generous explanations. Okay, that was all recap. You missed any of that stuff? Go get caught up, okay, online and you can watch them all on demand and nothing better to binge watch, okay, than the well at STSA. That's the best binge, that's what we binge watch, right? That, that's where the term came from. But what we're gonna talk about today, the final relationship hack, and we'll wrap up the series. I'll be honest, I didn't wanna have to talk about this. This is one of those, I didn't wanna have to go here. And my prayer and my hope is that today's message is completely irrelevant to you. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we finish here today and you say, I didn't, I didn't know what he was talking about and who he's talking to. Who sh I, that's not me. This is an irrelevant message. That's my hope and that's my prayer. Then I will know everything is perfect. But for the sake of some of us, unfortunately, I have to talk about what I'm talking about today. Because as we talked about before, the way these relationship hacks are working is each one we're going to start with number one, and if one solves the problem, we're good to go. If not, we got to get a little bit harder. And then if that doesn't work, we got to get a little bit harder. It, it's, like, it's like when you go, you have a problem with your back, and you go to the doctor. He doesn't start you with surgery. He says, get a little bit of rest and take a little bit of aspirin. That solves it? Great. If not, come on back and let's do some physical therapy. That solves it? Great. If not, then we have to cut you open, and we're going to have to remove some stuff and inject some stuff or do whatever to some stuff. Well, that's what we're going to have to do today. For those of us that we heard number one, and number two and number three, and we said, you know what? We just can't. For those who say, I just can't get myself to own my slice of the blame pie. I just can't get myself to give up those stories. I just can't get myself to give up on vengeance and wanting to get even. I just can't. Then maybe you need relationship hack number four, which says this, I will let go of my grudges and I will forgive. Today we're going to go deep and say we're going to talk about if you had a cancer inside you, that cancer kills you slowly and you want to do your best to take it out of there. Well, I'm going to tell you something that is more dangerous and severe than cancer. And I know that's a bold statement because I know a lot of people have loved ones who lost lives, okay, with cancer and I do as well. But I promise you that in the end, if someone tells me they live their life with cancer, I would rather hear that than, than hear that I'm living my life with unforgiveness and bitterness and grudges. Because see, the cancer will show up on a scan and you can take some kind of action, but the problem with the unforgiveness, it doesn't show up on a scan. There's no x-ray for it. It doesn't show up, but it's a silent killer. And it will kill you spiritually. It will kill you relationally. And it will do so in ways that you will never even be aware of. 
But everybody else around you will be aware. Unforgiveness is one of those things that when it's there, you don't see it. You don't know it because you can justify whatever. But the people around you, they're bearing the brunt of it. And all they know is, I don't know whatever happened to him when he was young. I don't know what happened to her in the beginning of her marriage. But I don't want to be around them. Because they, they, all they do is bring that stuff up. And they don't even realize they're bringing it up. But whatever happened to them that they can't let go of, that's affecting other relationships. So your kids are eating it. They're eating the meal prepared by your unforgiveness. Your friends around you, they, they keep their distance from you because of this. And until we learn to get rid of the unforgiveness and the grudges, it's going to continue to affect us. And we will be, we will be unaware that it's inside of us that's causing the problems. So let's talk about forgiveness. If you want to win at relationships, this is the number one most important criteria. People ask me that. What's the most important thing to be successful in relationships in my marriage, whatever it is? Number one criteria is forgiveness. Learn to forgive. If you don't know how to forgive, you will not be successful in any relationship. Because the bottom line is people make mistakes. It's inevitable. Your kids will hurt your feelings. They will tell you, I don't love you, mom, or I don't love you, dad, or whatever it may be. Your parents will make mistakes, okay? And they will have done things to you that you will later discover have impacts on you in different ways. Your friends won't always be there for you. Sometimes they'll be busy. Your, uh, your roommates might forget your birthday. Your best friend may have chosen somebody else to be her maid of honor or, best, or his best man or something like that. Hurt is going to happen. You got two choices in life. Choice number one is never have any, de any deep relationship with any person. That's choice number one. Never get close enough to any person to let them hurt you. If you choose that that's not the route you want to take and you choose that you do want to have relationships with people, you have to learn how to forgive. And it's a non-negotiable. The problem for most of us, we were never taught how to forgive. We were taught cold shoulder. We were taught smile, but never, never reveal anything deep inside. We were taught arm's length. Maybe we were taught even worse. Maybe we were taught passive aggressive. Maybe we were taught aggressive aggressive. But I'm telling you, we got to learn how to forgive. And if we're parents, side note for parents, we need to teach our children how to forgive. And if we ourselves are modeling unforgiveness, we are doing a great disservice to you. Knew who, you know who we're doing a disservice to? Ourselves. Because this is going to come a point in time. Trust me, I'm a priest. I hear confessions. Your kids are going to come in confession and say, my mom or dad, they did this and they did that. That's what they're going to say. It's all of our greatest nightmare, but all of our kids do it. And you want your kids to know how to forgive. And if you are not giving them an example of how to forgive, if you don't forgive your mom and you don't forgive your dad, you are doing yourself a great disservice or just be a perfect parent. There's your two options. Be just, just be perfect. Don't make any mistakes. You're only hurting yourself when we don't forgive. Not forgiving someone in the hopes of that'll show them, that'll teach them. Not forgiving is the equivalent. Is my microphone? We gotta have one. There, there, there we go. That's actually the same one that I started with. So, let's see how this goes. Every week we have to have a weekly microphone interruption. So, not forgiving. Okay, in the, in the hopes of, you know what? I'm not gonna forgive them. I can't forgive them. I can't let them get away with. I wanna, like this idea that we're gonna show them by not forgiving. This is the equivalent of take a hammer, go to this person's house, take a hammer, 
hit myself in the head with it many times in their living room and get blood on their floor. Ah, that'll teach them the message. That'll teach them to mess with me. Look how I got their carpet dirty. That's what we do to ourselves. When we hold on to grudges, we destroy ourselves in the hopes that that'll make them feel bad. And I'm saying you're better than that. You're smarter than that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. The key part there is looking carefully. That's what I want us to do. I want us to look carefully. And don't just run and say, I've forgiven, I'm fine. I want us to look carefully. Because if not, lest, we're going to end up in ourselves in a bad situation. We're the ones who are going to suffer. We're the ones who are going to pay the price. I don't know how many times I've said this sentence. I probably told you in confession of every company. Forgiveness is not for the sake of the other person. Forgiveness is for the sake of me and you. Forgiveness is not for the sake of the other person. We don't forgive because we feel bad for the offender. We forgive not because the offender deserves it. We forgive because we deserve it. Let me say it this way. Did you know that the quality and quantity of my relationships will depend on my ability to let go, move on, and forgive? If relationships are the most important thing, when all is said and done, the quality and quantity of your relationships will depend on your willingness to move on, let go, and forgive. Now, I can feel there, it's an emotionally charged topic. I can feel the tension in the room. So let's try to deflate the situation right now, okay? I realize, I say forgive, and you take it, and I couldn't, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. I've heard the stories. I know I, they're horrible. I get it. It's impossible to forgive them. They're bad. But just, just humor me for a second. Let's start, let's go systematically, can take some of the pressure off, and let's define what do we mean by forgiveness? Because maybe... I'm telling you forgive. You're saying I can't. Maybe you and I don't have the same terminology. Maybe your definition of forgive is something that you just, I don't know how you, anyone could say that. So let's go with a definition. So first, what I want to tell you is what is it, is what forgiveness is not. So we're going to go true and false right now. True and false, four things. You shout out the answer when I put this up on the screen. Number one, true or false. A person should be, should not be forgiven until he or she asks for it. True or false? False is the right answer because forgiveness is not conditional. Forgiveness, we say things like, that's not fair. I can't forgive them. They need to learn a lesson. Can't let them get away with. Okay, that's fantastic. But here, as I said a minute ago, my goal is not to hurt the other person. My goal is to help myself, find myself, help myself find healing. So if your goal is to hurt the other person, I agree. Forgiveness is not the way to go. But that's not my goal. If your goal is not to heal yourself, then yeah, you and I, we're talking about different topics. I'm not talking about them. I don't care about them. They hurt me. Why do I care about them? I care about myself and forgiveness. Follow me. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Can be a very selfish thing. I'm not saying in a negative way. I'm saying in a positive way, like it is a, it's a self, it's a for myself thing that I do, not for the sake of the other person. So don't ask yourself, do they deserve forgiveness? Ask yourself, do I deserve forgiveness? And I believe the answer is yes. True or false? Number two. Forgiving includes minimizing the offense and making excuses for the offender. True or false? False. Forgiveness has nothing to do with excusing. 
Like, the goal here isn't to say, so-and-so betrayed you, so-and-so abandoned you, so-and-so abused you. And I'm not trying to get you to say, that was no big deal. Yeah, I hardly even noticed it. Oh, was, was I abandoned? When I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was. I was. I was I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. No, no, no one in their right mind would say that. Like, I can't go to someone who's been abused, someone who's been betrayed, someone who's been rejected. I can't say that. And you know the example? Did Jesus minimize offenses of others? Did Jesus say that sin, not that big a deal? Eh, it's not that big a deal. Is that what Jesus did? Jesus did the opposite. Jesus said, you know, the big sins, the little sins, they're all big in my eyes. Forgiveness is less about the sin and more about the sinner. Jesus cared less about the offense and he cared more about the offender. So it's not minimizing the sin or excusing it by any means. True or false, number three, forgiveness includes restoring trust and reconciling the relationship. True or false, forgiveness includes restoring trust and reconciling the relationship. I stumped you there for a second. False. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciling. And we talked about this the very first week. We talked about how we will always strive for reconciliation. That will always be the goal, but we can't accomplish that. That's why St. Paul said, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. Relationships, I'm at most 50% of the relationship. And if it's like three people involved, I'm only a third. So I can't control the parts. I'm not talking about putting together a, a Lego thing where I control all the pieces and just get it. I'm talking about relationships. So I can't control the other person, but I can control myself. So forgiveness has nothing to do with restoring the trust and reconciling the relationship. Let me say it another way. Forgiveness is in an instant. Reconciliation takes time. Forgiveness is my job. It's on me 100%. Has nothing to do with you. I can forgive without any input from you. But trust and reconciliation, that's your part or at least that's our part together. That's something that does take time. That's something that does require the other person to show potentially remorse, potentially, I'm, I'm not, not focused on that here for today. But forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. One you can do today. And that's what I'm talking about. And then the last one, true or false, number four. You haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten. True or false? False, that's good, I'm glad, because you may have heard me say this before. How many of us, show of hands, how many of us grew up in a home, or maybe still our home, and we got that picture of Jesus? You know the picture of Jesus? With the nice face and the nice eyes, and it says at the bottom, in quotes, when I forgive, I forget. Who's seen this picture knows what I'm talking about? Very good. How many of you still have it in their house right now? Maybe anyone on their phone? Okay, put it down right now, okay? Take it down! You know why? It's quotes, but there's no reference. You know why? Because Jesus never said it. Jesus never said, when I forgive, I forget. And I'm telling you, that picture has messed up more people than anything else because that picture sets us an impossible goal. I'll show you it's impossible. Everybody look at your shoes. Everyone look at your own shoes. Look at your shoes. Everyone see their shoes? Can anyone not see their shoes? Everyone can see their shoes. Can okay, now look back at me. I want you now to forget the color of your shoes. Go ahead. I command you, forget. And I want you to pray really hard and believe and fast and read your Bible so that you can forget the color of your shoes. I can't command you to forget. And in fact, probably some of you didn't know what color your shoes were till a minute ago, till I told you to forget it. 
You can't command somebody to forget. Imagine going to somebody who was abused as a child, somebody who had a drunk driver take the, the life of their child and say, you have to forget that. What? I can't forget it. But you can't forgive it. Because forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. The more you try to forget, in fact, the more you in, end up remembering. So we're not going to talk about forgetting. And don't let anyone tell you need to forget. If you've been hurt, you've been hurt. Now, I think it'd be great if you could forget. I think that, 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 that's a fantastic goal to strive for. But again, that's a process. But forgiveness? So what is forgiveness? If we had to come up with a definition of what forgiveness is, I'm going to say that forgiveness is canceling the debt. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. You show me a bitter person. You show me an angry person. You show me an unforgiving person, and I will show you a person who feels owed something, who feels like somebody owes them something. Think about it from a banking perspective. The word forgiveness, okay, if you go to a bank and you have a loan, and I owe, you know, $300,000 in my house, whatever it may be. When all is said and done, the bank says to me, the loan is forgiven. The debt is forgiven, which means that I no longer need payment from you on whatever it is that, that you owed me. Well, I believe we're going to do the same thing here when it comes to relationships. If we are not willing to forgive someone, it's because we believe that they took something from us and they owe us. So, for example, somebody gossiped about you. Somebody said stuff behind your back. They took something from you. What did they take? They took my reputation. What they did to my reputation was not right. They owe me. That boss who you're angry with because he didn't give me the promotion, he gave the promotion to somebody else, you feel like he stole my career and he stole my opportunity from me. Maybe a spouse cheats on you and you feel like what they stole from me is my security. I can never have security again. A parent, a parent, a parent who abuses emotionally or physically. You feel like they stole my childhood. They stole my innocence. They owe me. They owe me. That's why we say expressions like, we need to get even. And we say expressions like, we need to get even. We say expressions like, we need to get even. There we go. Here we go. We say expressions like, we need to get even. No. <laughs> We say expressions <laughs> Let's stick back to this one. We say expressions like we need to get even. It means they took something and I'm going to take it back. And I'm not going to forgive them. And I'm not going to let go till I get back what they took. But help me out here. We're intelligent people. Most debts, can they ever be repaid? I told you a minute ago, someone stole your childhood. <laughs> can that be repaid? Someone stole your security, your peace. Can that be repaid? Someone stole your reputation. Can that be repaid? The problem with this approach of holding on is we put our healing in the hands of the offender until they correct the mistake. I'm going to continue, like I said, hammer in the head, hammer in the head, hammer in the head. Until they correct it, I'm going to continue to suffer. And that's why I say, you're better than that. You deserve, you deserve better than that. And because I believe you deserve better, I'm going to challenge you today to forgive, to cancel the debt, to say what this person owes me. 
They took this. They stole this. They, they owe me this. But I forgive the debt. I don't need to collect on it anymore. I cancel the debt. Now let's go for a story from the scripture right here where Jesus makes this clear. Because I realize this is a tough concept. And like I said, it's an emotionally charged topic. I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But Jesus, as he always had a way of doing, told a story in Matthew chapter 18 to perfectly address this point, to make it clear for them. Because I'm telling you, cancel the debt and forgive, and you're like, never, Father Anthony, never. Okay, and Jesus said, let me tell you a story. And the story is in response to a discussion that he was having with Peter, his beloved disciple, who asked about this issue of forgiveness. Peter said this, Matthew 18, 21. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? up to seven times. And the way it was in the Jewish culture was they were instructed to forgive three times, like a three-strike system, and then you're out. Okay? So you hurt me, I forgive. You hurt again, I forgive. Your third time, that's it, you're out. So Peter's coming and saying, like, all these other schmucks forgive three times. But me, Lord, you know I'm better than him. I walked on water. Like, that guy, he never walked on a lake. Like, I'm walking on the sea. Like, you know. So, like, you know all these other guys. You know, all the other schmuck disciples. But me, I'm like the good one. So Lord, and he probably said it with a loud voice so others would hear him, how often should I forgive? Like, how often do I? Seven times? And Jesus, as he often did, smiled. And he responded in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. To which Peter probably was like, I beg your pardon? Like Peter thought he was getting extra credit with the seven. And then Jesus tells us this story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, again, notice the banking terminology. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now, before you jump and say, what an evil master, the story says someone came and took out a loan for 10,000 talents. Let's call that $10,000, okay? Someone came and took out a loan for $10,000. He was unable to pay. The banker wanted to, quote, get even, but not in an evil way, in a right way. Like, you owe me $10,000. You can't pay me back. That's like an issue. Like, no one's going to go to the bank and say, you know what, I can't pay my mortgage. And the bank will be like, okay, I forgive you. Like, that's not going to happen. The bank will say, I'm going to take your home, I may take your car, and if I want your children, I may take them as well. And no one would say the bank is being evil. The bank is doing just what's right. Because if you owe somebody something, you need to pay them back. So, so far, everything is fine. The master's not being evil. The master's simply settling the debt that is owed to him. The servant didn't have the money. So the servant did the only thing he could do, which is verse 26. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So you see again this word, canceling the debt with forgiveness. The master, or I'm sorry, the servant came and begged for mercy. And notice, he didn't say, give me more time and I'll pay you. He didn't promise, no, I, I promise I'll get it in time. Because he knew this is a debt that could never be paid. So he just said, forgive me. And the master said, sure. 
I forgive you. Story goes on, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. What are the odds? Same day, he finds one of his servants owed him. So one guy was forgiven $10,000. This guy owes him a hundred denarii. Let's call that 50 bucks. He owed him a hundred denarii and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Now, some of us, some of us, with the things that people owe us. We don't physically take people by the throat and say, pay me what you owe, but this is our mentality. This is what's going on inside of us. This is what we're feeling. You will pay me. And if we could take it by the throat, we would, but we don't. So we just, we just we, in, our, in our hearts, we're angry and we want payment and you owe me and I deserve. And this is what this guy's doing. Verse 29. So his fellow servant, again, deja vu, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. What are the chances? This guy owes $10,000, forgiven. Walks out the door, someone owes him 50 bucks. And the guy says, forgive me. Well, the answer should be very clear, what he says next. Should he forgive him? Of course, this is the no-brainer no of all no-brainers. This is the no-brainer of all no-brainers. You were just forgiven $10,000, man. The guy owes you 50 bucks. Give him the 50 bucks, let it go. Watch what happens. Verse 30. But he would not. He would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, again, does this servant have the right to collect payment from the other servant? Does he have the right? Yes. But anyone in their right mind would look at the story and say, what? After you were forgiven and you were so and that's what the disciples are all thinking. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And I want to make this very personal. And I want you to think of the person that you are angry at. And I want to ask you the same question. Read it again off the screen here. I want you to see this. Should you, should you, should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as God had pity on you? And every single person listening to this story, as Jesus is telling it, is saying, yes, of course. Of course, the person should have had compassion. That's why verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Disciples heard the story and they said, yes, this is great. This is a great story. That servant deserves that. And then Jesus brings it home. This is often what Jesus does. He gives what I like to call zingers. Jesus gives little one-line zingers that cut you straight to the heart. He told this nice, cute story about a servant and another. He told, he told a once upon a time story of like people in a far, far, far away land. And then he comes back with the zinger in verse 35, and he brings it back to the original question that Peter asked. Remember the question that started this, Peter? You were asking how often you should forgive your brother. You remember that question you were asking? Verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Boom. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother as trespasses. Now, 
I know what I'm about to say is very obvious, but just, just, just for my sake, humor me right here. There's three characters in the story. There's the master, there's servant number one, and servant number two. Those are three characters, right? The master is who? Who does the master represent? God. That's the easy one. The rich king who owns all, who has many servants. The first, the, the master, that's God. Servant number one who owed the 10,000 talents. Who is that? Okay, us, but I'm going to be more clear. Okay, some of you not convinced. The first servant is anyone who has been forgiven a debt that they cannot repay from the master. So anyone who has been forgiven a debt that they could not repay from God. So if that's you, then that's you. If you say that I don't owe a debt to God and he didn't do anything with me, that's fine. That's between you and him. You probably got a bigger debt than you realize, but that's fine. But anyone, servant number one, is anyone who has been forgiven a large debt by the master who we said is God. Who's servant number two? Is anyone who is in debt to someone who's been forgiven by God? There's God. There's someone forgiven by God. And then someone who owes something to someone who's been forgiven by God. You put yourself in the story. You ain't number one. You ain't the God one. <laughs> so I made it easy for you. Servant number two is anyone who owes a debt to me. Servant number two is anyone who's embarrassed me. Servant number two is anyone who has offended me. Servant number two is anyone who has abandoned me when I was younger. Anyone who ridiculed me when I was at a low point. Anyone who wasn't there. Anyone who forgot my birthday. Anyone who didn't choose me to be in their wedding. Anyone who voted for him or didn't vote for him or whatever. Like anyone who has offended me or disagreed with me or owes me. Anyone. That's servant number two. And the verse is very clear. So my heavenly father will do to you if you also from your heart do not forgive your brother your trespasses. And some of you are sitting there thinking, Father Anthony, what a terrible thing to say. What an insensitive thing for me to say. You're talking about people who've been abused. You're talking about people who have been hurt really badly. And you're talking about just letting it go and forgiving? Well, listen carefully to what I'm saying. Jesus in this verse, and what I'm saying, the same thing. I am not saying if you do not forgive, God will punish you. I am not saying that. I'm saying if you do not forgive, you will punish yourself. You are punishing yourself. I'm not saying. Just like gravity. I'm not saying if you jump off the building, I'm going to kill you. I'm saying if you jump off the building, you're going to kill you. If you choose not to forgive, it's not God punishing. It's you punishing yourself. And I'll go even further. And I promise you, what I'm about to say, I promise you, I have said this to people who have told me the worst hurts. The worst People come to me in confession and tell me awful things that people did to them when they were younger or are doing to them now. And I say the same thing because I don't see, I don't see a loophole in, in forgiveness. I don't see a workaround. So I say the same thing I'm about to say to you. Listen carefully. The most self-destructive thing you can do in life is choose not to forgive. The most self-destructive thing you can do in life is choose not to forgive. Self-destructive to your spiritual life, to your marriage, to your children, to your career. The most self-destructive thing you can do. I'll go even further. Your enemy, your enemy hurts you. But I promise you, what you do to yourself is 10 times greater harm than anything your enemy could have ever done to you or will ever do to you. 
You harm yourself more by holding on than anything they could have ever done. You don't believe me? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, which we just read a few moments ago for those who are here during the divine liturgy. We read this. When Jesus gives us the, the, the prayer, the Lord's prayer, he tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So did you know that you, every time you pray the Lord's prayer, you say, God, forgive me the same way I forgave. Forgive me for when I lied to my friend the same way I forgave my friend when she lied to me. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't forgive her. I hate her. I tell everyone what a horrible person she is. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others. That's what you're praying. I'm not doing that for you. That's what you're doing. He goes on. Verse 14. Again, we just read this a few moments ago. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Like, come on! Your cruelest enemy cannot hurt you in a way that you can hurt yourself by choosing to hold on. They're done. They've hurt you. Forget about them. The question is, are you going to continue to hurt yourself? Because whether you realize it or don't realize it, your forgiveness is tied to theirs. Your sin is tied to theirs. Your willingness to let go is connected to your, your heavenly fathers letting go of your sin. And that's why I'm saying is, yeah, they may not deserve it, but you deserve it. And that's why I challenge you to forgive. Let me say it this way. When you forgive, you in no way change the past. But you sure do change the future. Yeah, I agree. That's worth taking a picture of. I agree. When you forgive, you in no way change the past. But you sure do change the future. And the people around you will thank you. Your spouse will thank you. Your children will thank you. Your grandchildren will thank you. Your coworkers will thank you. Everyone will thank you. Because when you forgive, you become a better person. You become an easier person to deal with. You become a more pleasant person when you let go of the grudge. Now, last thing I want to do real quick, okay, is I want to talk about a how, a practical. And I've discussed this before, so I'm going to go through this real quick. But I'm happy to discuss this with anyone afterwards who feels like, okay, Father Anthony, I'm in. I want to forgive, but I don't know how. So I'm going to go through a four-step process. This is a good thing. Is I'm emotionless, so people are like, you don't understand. But the good thing about having an emotionless priest is he can break anything down into four easy steps. So that's like a, a good thing. So there's positives and negatives. So let's go four easy steps. And this is going to be the opposite of what most people think about forgiveness. Call me crazy. Most people think when it's forgiveness to just go away, run away, don't think about it, don't whatever. I actually believe the opposite. I believe when there's a grudge, when there's a bitterness, when there's anger, I want to face it head on. So I'm going to do this. Number one and number two steps go together. Number one, identify who hurt you. Number two, determine what they owe you. Identify who hurt you and determine what they owe you. So I want to go to the specifics. Because what I don't want to do, a general forgiveness will not heal a specific hurt. A general, I forgive everyone for everything they've ever done at any point in my life. That's not going to cut it. What I need to do is I need to go specifically. Again, like the bank. I need to see who is it that's involved and what is it exactly that they owe me? What is it that they took from me? And I want to focus on this step right here and not so much what they did, but what they took, what I feel is owed. Step number three, simple. Cancel the debt. So I'm going to get a piece of paper. I'm going to say so-and-so's name. 
I'm going to say, this is what they took. And then I'm going to say, cancel the debt. And I encourage this to be done in writing because I like things in writing because when it's writing, it's clear. When it's writing, it's memorable. And you'll see why step four, the writing is important. I want to be specific. Who, who did what? What is it they took? And then I want to write underneath there. This day, and I would put the date on it and I would sign it like you do at the bank. Debt is forgiven. Debt is canceled. And for those who have the handouts in front of them, okay, I put at the bottom of a handout a sample little prayer Okay, that you can say and that you can write out, which I would encourage you, okay, if you're struggling with this. But I want to make it specific. And then number four, dismiss the case. And this is the most important of all. This is why you need it in writing. Dismiss the case means you today, I'm up here and I'm preaching and you're reading the verses and I'm moving, your heart is moving. So you're like, I'm in, I'm going to forgive. And that may last till about Thursday. <laughs> But then on Thursday, something may come up. And at that point in time, you got to make a decision. Are you going to reopen the case? Like if somebody, if somebody, if I go to the bank and the bank says, okay, your loan is forgiven. I'm just going to walk out of there. I'm going to say, excuse me, can you give me that in writing? Because I don't want some new guy to show up in a week and say, actually, you owe us this. Be like, no, someone promised me. They said, I promise you, you don't owe us anything. Like, I, I don't want to promise you. I want something in writing that I can look at. And I'm telling you the same thing. You write on a piece of paper. Who took what? What is it that they owe you? I dismiss the case. I'm sorry, I cancel the debt. And I'm going to hold on to that piece of paper. And anytime the thoughts come up, the feelings come up, the emotions come up, because I'm telling you, forgiving doesn't mean that you're going to forget, like we talked about. Forgiving doesn't mean that the emotions are gone. When the emotions come back up, I go back to that piece of paper and I say, I hate so-and-so. They're the worst. But you know what? On February, what's today? February 27, 2022, I just, I, I canceled the debt. I don't have a right to collect on it. It's been canceled. That's why sometimes I tell people to write this all out, cancel the debt. And they're like, okay, then I'm going to burn it in the fire. I'm like, no, please don't burn it in the fire. I'm going to nail it to the cross. Okay. I don't know. You have a cross. You want to, it's fine. But I, I, I would encourage you to do the opposite. I would encourage you to put it in one of those little manila folders and keep it in your desk. That's what I would do. Anything important that keeps it in a manila folder. I would do that. So that when it, the, the emotions come back up, you look at the piece of paper and say, you know what? Even if I wanted to collect, I forgave. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, you remember he said many things from the cross. And one of the things that he said at the very end is that it is finished. Remember he said that? It is finished. And that word, it is finished, is actually one word. Okay, in Aramaic when Jesus spoke it. And it's the same word when a prisoner would commit a crime. So let's say I committed a crime, I stole, you know, 100 bucks. They would try me and they would write my, my crime on a piece of paper. Father Anthony stole $100 and they would write the sentence on there, you know, prison for a year, whatever it is. And I have a little piece of paper and then I would go to the prison, I would serve my year and then on my way out, they would take the same piece of paper and they would stamp it with one word, and that word is, it is finished. So that when I'm in the street and someone says like, there's a criminal, arrest him. Uh, it is finished. It is finished. Can't, you can't, you can't, you can't put me back in prison because it's finished. It's proof, it's my receipt that I did my time. I think we need the same thing. I think we need an it is finished piece of paper. It says, whatever this person did, I'm not collecting anymore. Debt is done. It is finished. 
that's what Jesus did for us. Last thing I want to say right here, and I know I'm past my time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing. doesn't mean reconciling. It doesn't mean you're BFFs again and you start watching football games. That's not what none of that stuff means. What forgiveness means is not letting them win. Forgiveness means letting me win. Forgiveness is not they deserve it. Forgiveness is I deserve it. Forgiveness means I'm going to stop letting yesterday's hurts affect today's relationships and tomorrow's future because I deserve better. And I bet you, even as God in Christ forgave you, I bet you, when Peter heard the story from Matthew 18, I probably heard that story and he's like, that's tough. Then I bet you, Good Friday came along and he saw Jesus on the cross and he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I bet you, something in Peter's head clicked. Ah, uh, now I get it, Lord. Now I get it. Now I get it. As you see him up there, innocent, forgiveness. Now I get it. Because in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, it makes sense. I'll leave you with this thought. Anyone unwilling to forgive is usually thinking of what was done to them, not what was done for them. And my prayer today, especially as we start Lent and we approach the cross of Christ, my prayer is that we can all find healing through this Lent and specifically that we find healing through forgiveness. Because until we let go, move on and forgive, we are only hurting ourselves from finding true healing in the cross of Christ. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything we can do for you, visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. Have a great day.